Good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is John Minan. I'm the campus pastor for RUF uh, UVM. It's really great to see you all here tonight. Uh, thanks for making it through the snowstorm. Um, every week, we gather from like 6.30 to 8 to eat pizza and to snack on cookies and to hang out and also to hear uh, from God's Word. Uh, all semester long, we've been doing a series on relationships. Uh, so far, just to bring you up to, up to speed, we've looked at our relationship with God, uh, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with others, and starting next week, we're going to look at uh, the relationship that we have with the world around, starting sort of with uh, our, the natural environment. Uh, we said at the outset of this series that the quality of our life is best measured by the quality of our relationships. And the reason why having good relationships is so important and so fundamental to living the so-called good life is owed entirely to who we are and how we've been made. Uh, We've been made in the image of God, a God who is now and always has been and forever will exist as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, God is a community of loving persons, and because God has always existed in loving relationships, we who are made in his image have been made for loving relationships too. You could say that we've been made for community and saved for a community. And today, we're going to look at one such community called the church. Now, the church is a strange creature, uh, to be sure. It kind of reminds me of a moose. I asked uh, Kyler to describe a moose to me before we got together. He said, a moose is like a cow plus a horse plus like having canoe paddle antlers. It's a strange creature. They're so ugly, they can actually be cute. They are awkward and majestic. They're dopey and dangerous. They're fascinating from a distance and can be intimidating up close. Moose, like the church, can be paradoxical and polarizing. People love them and or hate them, and sometimes at the same time. And as Daniel Tiger, my cartoon counselor, often reminds me, sometimes you have two feelings at the same time, and that's okay. See, our feelings towards the church aren't new. People have had complicated relationship with the church for a long time. The most influential theologian after Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul was a man named Augustine of Hippo. Not to be confused with Augustine the Hippo, which is a Daniel Tiger character in season 20. (laughs) But um, Augustine of Hippo said that the church may at times be a whore, but she's still my mother. She may be a whore, but I can't help but love her just the same. In his book, Jesus Outside the Lines, Scott Saul writes, being a Christian can sometimes feel like being in a family with a thousand drunk uncles. Every family seems to have one or some, but in a family this size, 2.2 billion, there's going to be lots. Typically, it's the drunk uncles and the crazy aunts who get all the attention, And you're not alone in wanting to dissociate yourself from them. And it leaves us, it leaves many of us wondering, can I have God as my father without having the church as my mother? Can I have Jesus as a big brother and do without these other adopted sons and daughters and brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts? In sum, can I be a Christian without the church? Just last week, um, getting bubble tea with Alan Lynn which you should do with him, and it's delicious. Right? He said to me, the problem with the church is that it has people in it. The problem with the church is that it has people in it. 
And I want to start tonight's sermon by acknowledging this tension and not just acknowledging it, but also agreeing with it. Before we take another step, I want you to know that I get it. And I want you to know more than that, that God gets it. He does. Right? The church is messy. Over 400 times in the Bible, God refers to his people as a bunch of sheep. And that's not a compliment. Uh, sheep are stubborn. Right? They're unruly. They're stupid. In an article entitled The Problem with Sheep, author Bet Dowdell writes, There's dumb, there's dumber, and then there's sheep. Sheep spend their days munching grass without looking up. Because they only focus on what is right in front of them, it's easy for them to get lost. Sheep will wander around in a daze, bleeding, but still grazing. Sheep will fall off a cliff, and the one right behind it will probably too. If a wolf attacks a sheep, sheep will huddle together as if to give the wolf an easier, more convenient target. If a sheep falls into moving water, their coats absorb water rapidly, and they drown. All in all, sheep are pretty pitiful. And according to the Bible, we are too. We are a bunch of sheep who need a good shepherd. The sheep-shepherd metaphor is one that God uses repeatedly to describe his relationship to his people, to you, to me, to us, to the church. But there are others images, other metaphors that are used. And tonight, we're going to peer into one of those. Uh, Another image, another metaphor to describe what the church is and how we fit in. And tonight's passage comes to us from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. I'm going to put it up here. Uh, There's some Bibles over there. If you'd like to have one, it's our gift to you. You can also follow along. Some of you have a Bible app. This is Ephesians 4, uh, 1 to 16. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another and love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is kind of a confusing part. But just follow with me. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Okay. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, this concludes our reading. I'm going to pray for us before we dive deeper. Father in heaven, thanks for bringing us together, for feeding us with good food, for feeding us uh, with your word. I pray you'd help us to understand it, 
Help us to rightly apply it to our lives. Help us to understand how we might fit into the church, that we would love and serve it well, uh, and loved, be loved and served by it well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, tonight's passage describes the church as a body, indeed the body of Christ. And there really are three points that flow out of this passage, which I'd like to call your attention to. The first is that the body has many parts, all of which have a job to do. The second, the body needs to be built up, needs to be strengthened. And thirdly, the body is a body that Jesus loves. So the body has many parts, all of which have a job to do. It needs to be built up, and it's a body that Jesus loves. First, the body has many parts, all of which have a job to do. You see this in our passage. In tonight's passage, the church is referred to a body. You see that in verse 4 and 16. And you also see it in verse 12, where it's referred specifically as the body of Christ. Okay, the church is referred to the body of Christ, not just here, but in other parts of Scripture as well. In Romans 12, for example, or 1 Corinthians 12. Now, like all bodies, this church body consists of many diverse parts. Every part is essential to the body. Every part has a job to do. I want you to listen to what Paul, who's, who authored this letter, what he writes in another letter in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll put it up here. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God's arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. He continues. So the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, in Ephesians 4.11, Paul lists what some of those body parts in the church are. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not human anatomy and physiology 19 and 20, which I know for some of you, it's a real pain. Right? This is Paul calling attention to a few specific body parts, right? church members, whose job is to help all the others work properly. It's spelled out in verse 12. See, the job of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is to equip the saints for ministry. We'll say, who are the saints? Well, saints are not super Christians. Saints are, is just a term that is used in the New Testament to describe any and all Christians. Anybody who's put their faith and trust in Jesus is called a saint. And what Paul is saying in this verse is very important. 
He's saying that ministry is not something that only pastors and campus ministers and RUF interns do. Right? Ministry is something that we all do and are supposed to do together, right, in concert. I want you to think back to this body analogy. Whose job is it to digest food? Is it the job of the mouth, or the stomach, the intestines, or the colon? Whose job is it? I say all of the above. Or whose job is it to oxygenate the blood? Is it the heart? Is it the lungs? Is it the veins? All of them working together? Well, in the church, doing God's work is not just one person's job's description. Is what all of us are doing and are meant to do together. The word ministry in verse 12 is the, de- is the Greek word uh, diakonia, which is where we get the word deacon or deaconess from. It means to minister to or to serve or to support. And Christians are supposed to serve those inside the church as well as those outside of right, the church. Let's say I get a cut or a scrape on my body. Right, the body works together to heal it, right, to scab it up and then to heal But if my daughter gets a cut or a scrape, my body can also heal hers too. I mean, by administering Neosporin or Band-Aid or some kisses on the knee. Again, it's not just one person's job. It's what all of the parts working together do, right? Serving and supporting, not just ourselves, but others. Well, some people say, look, I just don't like the idea of being part of this body. I don't like the way that it looks. I don't like the way that it smells. I don't like being joined to or connected to other people, especially those who are different from me. So what do they do? Well, they cut themselves off from the body. They become, in essence, an arm or leg or ear just lying there, disconnected from the rest of the body. Now, if you happen to find an arm or leg or an ear just lying on the sidewalk on your way back to the dorms, that will be disturbing. You should call 911, right? That's not right. right? You should be concerned. You should be concerned uh, in the same ways that you should be concerned for those who cut themselves off from the church. Because a body part that's been cut off from the body no longer has life or blood, oxygen or nutrients flowing into it, right? An appendage that's been cut off from the body begins to rot, right? Begins to die. And sadly, I've seen this happen. I've watched students who have been active in RUF uh, in college. We've had countless one-on-ones that come to countless Bible studies, many meals at our home, can say seeds of faith planted in their life. They germinate, they grow, then they also wither and die. They say, why did their faith die? And it's simply this, they never connected themselves to the church. Or they cut themselves off from it, maybe right after they graduated. You see, the body is where the life is, and the body is where God's spirit is. And if you're disconnected from it, You're disconnected from these. You cut yourself off from the body and your spiritual life really begins to just bleed right out. Not connected to the body, it's only a matter of time before you, like that disconnected leg, arm, or ear, begin to dry up 
and grow cold and die. If you found a body part lying on the sidewalk, you should be concerned for a second reason. That body part's not just rotting or dying, it's also of very little use. An arm that is connected to the body is able to bathe and wash and dress and serve itself, and it's able to do the same for others. However, an arm that's disconnected from the body is pretty much good for nothing. Like, you can pick it up and use it to wave to a friend, but that's about it. Even that's kind of grotesque, right? Don't do that. Just call 911 instead, right? Connecting dots, right? When you are connected to the church, right, you're able to serve it. And through it, you're able to serve others. But disconnected, you're of no help to the church. And your impact outside of the church is also severely limited. Today's recycling day in Burlington, Vermont. At least it is on Green Street. And on the side of all of our blue recycling bins is this tagline. It says, if you do a little, we can do a lot. That's neat, right? If you do a little, we can do a lot. Well, seeing this recycling bin today reminded me of something that I read this week. According to a recent study reported in Relevant Magazine, only 10 to 25% of the typical American congregation tithes, that is, gives the biblical starting point of 10% to the church and to kingdom causes. Now, the same report concluded that if the remaining 75 to 90% of American Christians began to tithe regularly, then global hunger, starvation, and death from preventable diseases could be relieved within five years. Additionally, illiteracy could be eliminated. The world's water and sanitation issues could be solved. All overseas missions work could be fully funded and over $100 billion per year would be left over for additional ministry. And that's just the church in the United States. One person, all by himself, disconnected from the church, could never accomplish something like that. But if every American Christian just gave 10% of their earnings to kingdom causes, look at what we could accomplish. If you would do a little... Right, we can do a lot. Let me just summarize this first point and sneak in a few applications as well. The church is described as a body consisting of many parts, and working together, we have a job to do, to minister to those inside the church and to minister to those outside of the church as well. So here's application number one. If you are already connected to a church, that's great. I encourage you to invite your friends to join too. Application number two. If you're not connected to a church but would like to be or to at least check one out, also great. We would love to help you to do that. Why don't you, before the end of tonight, turn to your neighbor, the person to your left or your right, and I mean this literally, ask them, do you go to church? And if so, when and where? And can I tag along? And if somebody asks that question, say yes. <laughs> Application number one, I would love for you to come with me, right? Three, as you look for a good church, there are going to be some things that are high on your list of priorities. 
We want to find good teaching. We're going to want to have good worship. But don't just look what you can get out of it. Also pay attention to what you can give to it. Is the church equipping the saints for ministry? Or does it see ministry as something reserved for a select few? You want to be part of a church that takes you seriously as a member of Christ's body and is equipping you to perform the parts that you can play. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I think you should be a part of and want to be a part of. And then fourth application is this. Perfection is the enemy of good. If you insist on perfection or nothing, you will end up with nothing. As the saying goes, if you find a perfect church, run away because you're going to mess it up. Don't look for a perfect church, right? Look for a good one. The church is a body with many parts to play. You need it and it needs you. But this brings me to point number two. The church is a body that needs to be strengthened. The church is a body that needs to be strengthened. And we see this in verse 12. In verse 12, it says that the body needs to be built up. Right? It needs to grow. It needs to mature. It needs to be strengthened. Now, the direction of this growth and strength training is Christ-likeness. We see that in verses 13 and 16. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, right, into Christ. What we also see in these verses, specifically in verse 14, is that we don't enter into the church looking like this, that is like looking like Jesus or feeling like Jesus or acting like Jesus. We are joined to the body so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by wind and waves, no longer sort of pushed around in the hallways. See, we enter into this body weak and immature, but by connecting us to his body, Jesus intends for us to grow and to grow up strong. See, in this regard, coming together as the church is not unlike going to the gym. Now, the church is not gold's gym. Right? We're not entering in ripped and just wanting to get that much stronger. Church is more like Planet Fitness. It's where ordinary people like you and me work out. Planet Fitness calls itself the judgment-free zone. And at its best, that's what church is supposed to be. Right? It's this place where ordinary people like you and me work out slowly, <laughs> but surely getting stronger. And this works both ways. On the one hand, you can look around the room and say to yourself, wow, these people are weak and puny and messed up like me. I fit right in. (laughs) But on the other hand, you might say to yourself, wow, these people are weak and puny and messed up like me. I don't want to be here. I want to go to Gold's Gym. (laughs) This is the great part in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screw Tape Letters. Uh, where uh, a demon named Wormwood is being coached by his uncle how to get a new convert to walk away from his faith. His demon uncle says, somewhat shockingly, take the guy to church. Bring him to church. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. 
It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains, provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes. That patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Right? If he sees himself in that company, what am I doing here? <laughs> the more unattractive and unimpressive the members of the local church appear to the Christian, the more cynical he will be toward the church itself. And the more cynical he becomes toward the local church, the more cynical he will become about Christianity as a whole. Funny enough, um, I was actually a member of Planet Fitness in 2007 to 2008 when I was becoming a Christian and living in Northern Virginia. Now, as a member of Planet Fitness, I faced two challenges. The first was going to the gym itself. (laughs) It was making time in my schedule to be physically present there. But the second was actually working out when I got there. And not just lying on my back on a mat, pretending to be like doing sit-ups, but actually just watching the TVs, you know, hanging from the wall. I still do that, and Megan can tell you all about it. Um, Going to a gym and doing any kind of strength training is hard, right? Especially at the beginning. And Paul understands this. Which is why he says at the very beginning of this chapter, I urge you, almost like grabbing, like, please, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Be humble and be gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Fight to maintain the unity and the bonds of peace. And why does he have to spell all of that out? Well, it's because in church you're tempted to either quit and just not show up or to do the opposite of all of those things. Right? In this company of drunk uncles and just people who are not like you, drunk uncles in quotes, right? You know what I mean, <laughs> right? Instead of being humble, right, you're tempted to look down your noses at all the other people. Instead of being gentle, crushing them with the weight of your expectations and judgmentalism. Instead of being patient, losing your cool when the person next to you just says something stupid or careless. Instead of bearing with one another in love, right, you spread gossip and lies. Instead of fighting for unity, just fight. See, in church, if we think of it as a gym, this is your exercise. This is your exercise of faith, right? This is what it means to do chest presses and bicep curls and sit-ups and squats. Being humble, being patient, bearing with one another in love. It's hard, right? It's difficult. In our very own UVM gym, there used to be these words sort of printed on the wall, I think they've taken them down. I want to put them back up. It says, if it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. If it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't change you. See, if you go into a gym and you just lift five-pound weights or two-and-a-half-pound weights, it doesn't matter how many you do of them. It's not going to make a difference. 
The only way that you get stronger is if you lift something that's about 5% heavier than what you can comfortably handle. You need to encounter some resistance. Again, if it doesn't challenge you, it's not going to change you. And God wants us to change. He wants us to become more like him, to be more humble and gentle and patient and loving and kind. And this gym called the church is the only place that's actually going to happen. It's the only place where we're going to encounter people who are not just like us, because that's easy, but instead join ourselves to join our imperfect selves to other imperfect selves to form an imperfect community that through Jesus embarks on a journey towards a better future together. It's in this particular context that we learn how to love difficult people just as Jesus loves us when we are difficult people. This is the only community where we're truly sort of forced to love our families. Because we didn't choose the, ne- the people necessarily in the pews, right? God chose them, and he chose us, which means he chose us to be together. And by loving them, we learn how to grow in patience and in gentleness and so on. Being around the kind of people who you need to be patient with and gentle towards. Now, I know, and I, I know this is true, that some of you will push back. I've gotten pushed back before. It won't be the last time. You'll say, it's too difficult. Right? I'm happy to download sermons. I'm happy to sort of encounter Jesus in my walks in the woods. I will read all the latest theology books. I just don't want to have to deal with those people. Now, when I encounter this kind of pushback, I'm reminded of what we're looking at in Bible study this week. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Paul says there, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. You can listen to all the sermons in the world. You can read all of the best theology books and know them by heart. You can even write some of your own. But the Bible, cover to cover, is about loving hard-to-love people. It's about God loving the hard-to-love you, and it's about us learning how to love the hard-to-love other people in our midst. Which is why if you learn all of those things, but you don't join yourself to the church, you're missing the point entirely. You're missing love. It's the point, right? In Paul's words, I am, you are, nothing. See, Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are at, and he loves us enough not to leave us there, which is why he connects us to himself, and which is why he connects us to his church. It is for our good, and it's for our growth. If we were to stop right here, and call it quits tonight, right? Just You might leave thinking, man, I really need to go to church. In much the same way that I might say, oh man, I really need to go to the gym after eating two pounds of chicken wings. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's probably a good idea, right? But needing to do something and wanting to do something are not the same thing. 
yes, you need to go to church and go for all of the reasons that I've mentioned. You were made for this. You were saved for this. But what is actually going to make you want to go? Not need to go, but actually desire to want. What's actually going to transform duty into choice? Well, I think it's this. And it's knowing this. That Jesus wants to be connected to you. Not simply because he has a job for you to do. Not simply because he wants you to become stronger somehow. But Jesus wants to be connected to you because he loves you. And he just wants to be where you are. To be with you. Because he loves you. See, Jesus sacrificed his body so that we, his body of believers, could be with him forever and ever. In the lyrics of one great hymn that is sung in our churches, we sing, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. The church may be a whore sometimes, but Jesus loves it. Say, he loves you. He wants to be connected to you. And we, I, would love to make that happen. So please let, me, let us help you get connected to a good local church. And let's pray.